Welcome to episode 61 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, Danielle Webster. Let's go. Just a quick heads up before getting into the discussion with Danielle. Throughout the episode, we were plagued with internet issues, some freezing here and there. And I think we battled through. I think we made it fine. I'm probably more self-conscious about it than you will even notice. But just a heads up if things sound a little bit off at certain points throughout the episode. Nonetheless, it was a fantastic conversation with a lot to learn. So here it is, the conversation with Danielle Webster. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Joined here today by Danielle Webster from sunny Florida. Danielle, thank you for being here today. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. How are things in Florida? Things are great. The weather is very warm. A few weeks ago, it was like 30 degrees in the morning, and that felt terribly cold. But it's finally warmed up, and it's been back in the 80s and hot. Yes, I'm I'm extremely jealous. We were just talking before how I had spent some time in Florida, and you know, listeners of the podcast will know that. Um, but Toronto, it, it seems like we get a little tease of of spring every now and then, and then we get slammed with another snowstorm. And I know, you know, you're from Chicago, so I'm sure that the the weather was yes, like that. Yes, I know too, the snow and the cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good stuff. Um, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, and what it is that you do. Yeah, my name is Danielle Webster, and I'm an online fitness coach. Um, I currently specialize in hypertrophy, so that's a lot of what my content is about, how I program, and all of that. And how did you get into fitness? And and we'll talk about the more hypertrophy-focused stuff in a second and how that transition happened, but what was your introduction to fitness? Were you an athlete growing up, or did you just kind of find the gym as a, as a teenager? No, I was, I was not an athlete growing up at all. Um, I was in and out of like different sports in high school. Never was really athletic, never liked doing anything. I tried a variety of things and I tried track, I tried um, like dance. I never really liked anything, but I grew up really skinny all of my life and I was very insecure about it. So at around 17 years old, I was kind of just fed up and I followed like a lot of like fitness people and my mindset was, okay, if I build muscle, this will make me look less skinny. So that was kind of how I got into the gym. I had hired some trainers, you know, I was using my babysitting money to pay for trainers because I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but yeah, just really just being really skinny growing up was kind of how I got into training. Yeah, that's awesome. And 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 it's very unusual that you would have spent money off the bat on training rather than just going to the gym and following Instagram workouts and YouTube workouts or or you know, just free resources online. How how did try- that- how did that impact you like starting off from that better, from that better base of actual knowledge? So I started doing that. I did do like Instagram workouts, you know, finding things on like Pinterest and all of that, but I didn't really find it as effective. And I always saw other people in the gym and like other trainers and they would talk to me, you know, because I was really young and um, I was doing like, you know, classes uh, at um, local gyms and, I liked it, but I always saw like women training in the gym, like gym, like strength training. And it was just something I wanted to get into. So I did have a few trainers approach me and that was kind of how I got connected with them. Like they were always wanting to help me, which was great. Um, yeah. So I just kind of connected with some trainers. They helped me out. They, um, always like for like, they gave me like a good deal because I was so young. So I got lucky with like the influences I had really early on that helped. Yeah, a lot of people have very poor influences, but I know that you've learned from some very intelligent people, which is which is good, obviously, and, and got you to the, the place you are today. What kind of results did you have at the beginning doing those classes and doing um, 
you know, just stuff from, from the internet. Because sometimes when we go from absolutely nothing, like we're not trained at all, and we just do anything, we'll still have some results. And it may not be that, you know, that extreme, but it will still be better than zero. Did you did you experience some of that? Yeah, I'm sure you've heard of the term, you know, newbie gains. It's a common term thrown around, but it, it really, um, it's a very true because your body's not used to that. And then once you start training and, you know, even if you're doing like um, exercise is really incorrect, you'll still get a response. So I did notice, um, muscle growth and being very skinny, it did come on, you know, relatively quickly. And I fell in love with that when I started to see that. And that was kind of like, um, what kept me going. Yeah. And then what, what changes happened outside of the gym with that for you? Like, did you have any increase in confidence or how did, how did you start seeing yourself differently as you started to notice your body change, if at all? Yeah, I felt um, more confident. I started doing, taking on more healthy habits. Like um, throughout high school, prior to getting to the gym, you know, I just wanted to gain weight so bad that I was doing it in like super unhealthy ways, eating junk food all the time. And once I really got into the gym and spoke to trainers and people who knew what they were doing, I started to eat healthier. And so I just felt better overall. And yeah, I definitely felt more confident as I continue to build muscle. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, we, we, I've spoken about this many times on the podcast, people listening will know, but you know, this is one of the biggest things, right? We, we see our body start to change. We see some muscle, we see the weights going up. We see the ability that our body, uh, or, or the increased ability that we have to, to be able to do things. And that is almost more powerful than, than the image of what we see our body, the physical, the aesthetic changes, right? Yeah, watching those weights go up and feeling really strong was like super empowering. Yeah, for sure. And so switching into the hypertrophy style of things then, well, at what point did you at what point did you kind of like learn what that was and then sort of zero in and, and start to really educate yourself as much as you could on that? Um, so it was about a year and a half ago. I had some great, you know, influences in my life. Um, I there was a lot of I saw a lot of it on Instagram. I was really curious about it. I always wanted to learn um more. But, you know, you can go on the internet and you can search anything and you'll get a million different responses for one topic. And it's like, what do I believe? Where do I go from here? So, you know, just seeking out good influences in my life. I had that. I found people who were um, like well-known, like, you know, Paul Carter, Chris Beardsley, like people who just were really well-known. And I started just kind of learning from them. Right. Yeah. And those guys... If, if you're not following them, definitely like follow those guys, Paul Carter and Chris Beardsley, two of the best, especially in the hypertrophy world. Um, and, and it's, but it's hard to, at the beginning, differentiate who's, who's legit and who's not legit. Right. So what, at what, how did you kind of, how did you go through that process of trying to find the best people to learn or, or did it just happen naturally trying and, uh, you know, a little guess and check kind of thing? Just kind of talking with people, honestly, was kind of how it happened. Um, I had talked to Paul a lot, you know, for about a year and a half, and he really kind of helped me and, you know, guided me to good resources, you know, good books, um, good people. And I just got really lucky with, with all of that. And that's kind of how I, you know, began to learn everything. And then I took that information and I was able to really more so differentiate between on the internet, you know, what is true and what is false. When you learn like, you know, anatomy background, like also like, you know, I'm, I'm in school and help learning like anatomy and physiology helps you to um, give a better understanding of movements and how the body works. So that helps me to differentiate, like, you know, is this a good movement targeting this muscle 
or as this is. So school helps as well, for sure. And then I've been certified through a few through NASM and that has, that has helped. There's kind of like learning from, you know, a wide variety of places and people. Yeah. I think, I think that that's one of the most underrated things that you just mentioned there is, is learning anatomy on, on a bit of a deeper level. Because when we, when we do learn the anatomy, we can look at the muscles and say like, oh, that's where this muscle is. This is where it inserts. This is where it originates. This is what it does. That's how I train it. Instead of thinking about, you know, X exercise grows my biceps. I can think about, well, what action does the biceps do and how do I set up an exercise to do that action? I think that that is a more true way of thinking about things rather than just memorizing like a Rolodex of exercises in your head. Yeah, that's very true. And it's a lot. It's a lot to learn. Like I'm still learning all the time. So it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it is a lot. And, but, but it's extremely important and we'll never stop. We'll never stop learning it and have to continue to, uh, continue to learn it and keep up with our knowledge for sure. Right. Yeah. It's so important to just keep, keep learning like anything in life. You just want to keep, you know, growing your knowledge. Of course. Before we get too deep into the biomechanics of certain exercises and stuff, I want to just back things up because I know that this is a a forever issue and and mainly with women is surrounded around, surrounded around, that doesn't really make sense, but (laughs) surrounded in getting too bulky or this fear of gaining weight and getting too bulky. Was that something that you encountered? And if so, how did you overcome that? If not, it's not. it was never something I feared because like I said, I had been so skinny my whole life that I, I didn't really mind being bulky. I wanted to be anything but skinny, but I know that is a common um, fear of women. Um, and I, and I get that, but I also think that term is just thrown around so much. You're not going to get bulky in a few weeks. You're not going to get bulky, you know, in a few months. I don't even, I don't even like that word, Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not something that happens overnight. You know, it's training for years and it's, you know, really eating in a, in a surplus, you know, and usually when people are t- referring to bulky, like you're going to have more body fat, you know, it's not the muscles not making you, you bulky, if that makes sense. So I think mm-hmm. it's just a term. I don't like that term. I've never liked that term <laughs> because it's not something that's going to happen right away. Yeah, that's fair. And and I've even- been training for seven, say almost seven years and I'm not bulky <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I've never it's- even gotten there. <laughs> Exactly. It's certainly something that doesn't happen by accident. And, you know, a lot of people, maybe men more often, are trying to get bulky and they can't. (laughs) Desperately Mm, for the life of them, they can't get it done. Right. And so Mm. women naturally just physiologically, it is what it is. It's much harder to gain an excess amount of muscle. And so unless you're doing things extremely perfectly for a very long amount of time and probably also using anabolic steroids, which no judgment, that's if that's your thing, that that's your thing. I don't really care. Uh, not you, Danielle, but just anyone listening, um, th- then you're not going to get too bulky. You're not going to get too big and look like this, you know, monstrosity on stage no, that you see in bodybuilding like competitions. <laughs> like those people try their whole life and that's what they get to. So uh, I think it's important just to you know continue to have this conversation and continue to hear it from, from people like you because it's different coming from me. So let's, let's jump into some, some more specific hypertrophy content. So a lot of the content that that you post is around exercise demonstrations and specific ways to do certain exercises. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that this is in part because when we're training for hypertrophy, our exercise selection and execution has to be a lot more specific rather than if we're just training to have fun, be healthy, generally get in shape. Does that sound correct? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a wide variety of ways to train and there's no one way to train that fits all, you know, if you don't like training a certain way, don't try it a certain way, you know, find what works best for you. But yeah, I found that I specialize in hypertrophy and I enjoy training that way. And I enjoy instructing others how to train that way, but you don't have to train that, that right, that way. Right. Yeah. To, to each their own. But, but if someone is, uh, is wanting to train for hypertrophy, like doing things that uh, I always harp on these, but doing burpees, not a good hypertrophy exercise, not really yeah. helping you <laughs> put on muscle. If that's your thing and that's fun to you, like, you know, by all means do your thing, but not hypertrophy. So the specificity, um, in exercises for hypertrophy matters a lot more. Um, why, why is that? Why does that matter so much more with hypertrophy? I think you could say, why does training for strength? Um, can you hear that in the background? No. No, nope, okay, sounds okay. I just wanted to make sure <laughs> it was on my end, but I didn't want to make sure it was on yours. Um, but why does training for strength have to be specific? Why does training for athletic training have to be specific? You know, there are different ways to train and different uh, movements and protocols um, to get certain results. And, you know, with hypertrophy, it's the adaptation of getting the body to add more cross-sectional area, which is basically just um, focusing on building and growing muscle mass. So it's just really going to depend on what your goals are and what, you know, there'll be different types of movements and protocols for that goal. Right. So, so to maybe translate that a little bit, you know, the goal of hypertrophy is to grow the size of muscles, not necessarily to move the most amount of weight. I think that's a good comparison, right? Yeah. That's a good comparison to strength training. Yes. Yeah. and, and, And again, neither of them are right or wrong. It's just to each their own. But if your goal is hypertrophy, your goal is not necessarily to make your squat numbers go up or your deadlift go up or whatever it is. It's to get bigger legs, bigger arms, bigger, whatever muscle it is that you're working on. Right. Yeah. And that's not to say if you're strength training, you're not going to build muscle or vice versa. Especially, especially early on in one's training career, like a lot of oh, these, yeah, you're going to build muscle, you know, <laughs> doing just about anything. Yeah, yeah. You walk, you walk in the gym and do a lap around. <laughs> your first day, pretty much. You're gonna you know, build I miss, muscle. I miss those days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think we all do, and and I think that's a, it's actually a good thing to, to think about that I hadn't thought about before is, the value of training very, correctly when you just start off because you you can maximize those quote-unquote newbie gains if you're Mm -hmm. training intelligently like yes you can make gains by doing basically anything but if you hire a coach and do things right you can make so much more of that because after that first year maybe two years it's gone and it's and you're never going to have that rate of uh, growth ever again yeah it's really really important in the beginning if anything and most people don't they don't realize that um but it's so important when you first start training to really try to like learn and train, you know, the most optimal way you can. Right. What, what were some things that you did early on in your training career that you look back on as like, wow, I really shouldn't have done that. And I should have been doing something different. If there's, if there's anything that you can r- remember. Just some like goofy exercises. I mean, there's a lot of goofy exercises on social media. I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen a wide variety. Mm-hmm. Um, just like silly exercises that really didn't make any sense. I also trained way too often. You know, I was training seven days a week, most of the time, never resting, thinking that, you know, I would lose my gains if I didn't work out for one day. So yeah, pretty much just overtraining and just doing silly movements I saw online that weren't really effective. A lot of it was um, throwing like, you know, those mini, mini booty bands on everything. That was one thing I definitely did do. And now I'm like, no, I don't do that. <laughs> you mean, you mean booty bands don't make you have a big booty? 
That's not how it works. The way a lot of a lot of the time they are used. No. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm with you on that, and 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 we're gonna talk about that in a in a little bit for sure because it's it's disappointing. They're a great tool. They're a great tool for learning yeah. movements. They're a great tool for like rehab and prehab, and they, and yes. everything has its place. But like, you know, when you're when you've got a couple hundred pounds on a hip on a bar for doing hip thrusts or some type of thrust motion, like that little band is not doing anything, right? No. And, no, and in fact, it's it's inhibiting you. Why don't we just go into it now? Why is that band <laughs> inhibiting you? Well, if you're speaking in terms of a hip thrust, so yeah. I will see. Well, one, it, it's not it's not doing anything, and then especially I'll see it's common to people will go into a hip thrust and go into abduction at the top, and that's actually limiting the amount of hip extension you can get. So it's basically a limiter in a lot of exercises. Yeah, yeah. So what Danielle means those words if you're not familiar with those anatomical terms when you push your knees out which is what you're doing against the band to keep the band taut that is limiting your ability to push your butt up to the ceiling which is hip extension which is the point of a hip thrust where you're trying to extend your hips to use your to use your glutes so if you're doing something abduction that is inhibiting that then you're just kind of shooting yourself in the foot by, by doing yeah that. and more than likely you will not be able to use as much weight if you're putting that band around your thighs versus if you don't. Right. But it does feel a bit more for some people. So what what's that all about? The sensation chasing? In There's definitely a misconception where people think more sensation, more feeling equals more hypertrophy. And that's just simply not true. You, It's much better to focus on choosing good quality movements and then ex- executing them correctly. Um, like a few examples. So if you um, like a sumo stance, um, whether it be a deadlift or a squat, is really thought to be more glutes. But when you are in that um, highly abducted and externally rotated position, the glutes can no longer use the pelvis as leverage. So you're actually disadvantaging the glutes in that really wide stance. And it's going to be more of your adductors working, you know, versus if you compare a sumo deadlift to a Romanian deadlift, um, you're going to be able to lengthen the glutes much more in that closer stance. So that's kind of one one um, misconception with, you know, you think you're feeling your glutes when you're targeting a, a different muscle. There will be some glutes, but it's not going to, the glutes aren't going to be the prime mover. Right. And that's probably the most, like the most prominent example of like sensation-based training that is not exactly what, what it seems to be, right? And just because that position shortens the glutes so much that you feel it so much there, but when you think about the body biomechanically and, you know, to no fault of anyone's own, most people have not studied anatomy and biomechanics. So how would they know? But w- when you look at a body, you, th- the, the muscles are essentially levers. They don't push on anything. All they do is pull on bones. So you want them to be lengthened. And when you're in the sumo stance with your legs out super wide, they're shortened. And so that's why it just kind of feels more, right? Yeah. Another example would be um, the seated abduction machine. This is thought to be mm typically glute medius, but it's actually going to be primarily your piriformis, which sits under the glutes. And that's why some people think they're really feeling their glutes when in reality, you're just feeling your piriformis and your other deep external rotators. So that's another one where people think they're feeling their glutes, but they're not. I mean, there's some glutes for sure. I mean, but you're not, they're not the prime mover. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an important distinction too, is that none of these things are absolutes. It's Mm -hmm. not an exercise isn't all glutes or no glutes. There's like some degree of each muscle or each of the relevant muscles that are that are working in a given exercise. And at the same time, like the seated abduction, that's not a bad exercise. 
You just no. have to use it for what it's what it's actually doing rather than what we think it's doing. Mm-hmm. Now that's a difficult thing to to uh, to learn for some people because you know we want to chase feeling, we want to feel something when we go to the gym, um, and and that's okay too, right? Feeling a pump, feeling sore, like these things are okay because at the end of the day for most people they're not chasing purely hypertrophy and gains and you know they're going to the gym to feel good so by all means like do your thing (laughs) but but yeah you just don't want to base your training on feeling you know right that shouldn't be like your main consensus is is this a good exercise you know am i feeling this muscle right so what are what are the characteristics then of a good glute exercise what makes something more glutes versus less glutes I apologize, but you just completely cut out. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I think it's my internet. But... Like you, you froze. Okay, I was. Just, I just said, what are the what are the characteristics of a good glute exercise versus a, a not good glute exercise? I mean, it's going to depend. Like, you want to target the glute medius or the glute maximus. Um, Let's talk glute, glute maximus. Okay, glute max. Um, so you're going to want to be more in a close stance versus that wide stance. Um, and that's going to be, you know, an RDL is a great way to train the glute max in the lengthened position. Um, a bridge is a really good way to train the glute max in a shortened position. Um, so those are two really good exercises that I program and I recommend. Um, and, yeah, and so, so for the glute. So sorry, what, what makes them good glute exercises versus... Um, like why is a squat not an optimal quote unquote optimal glute exercise? Um, a squat, you know, you can definitely build glutes with the squat, but it's not going to be like the most optimal, um, choice just because you're also recruiting, you know, other muscles versus if you're, um, you know, doing an RDL, you're putting more concentrated tension on the glutes and same, you know, with a bridge. Um, so squats not, squats are not bad for building glutes. You know, you can still build glutes with a squat. For sure. And you just want to make the squat like more glute bias, um, which would be, you know, maximizing hip flexion. Right, right. So, so you know, leaning forward, you know, um, pushing your butt back. Right. Yeah, that's that's more what I was what I was trying to oh, what, okay. I was, what I was trying <laughs> okay. to ask you is like, yeah, so how do you how do you organize these exercises? Like, yeah, we we can rattle off a bunch of names of like glute exercises, but what we're trying to do is maximize hip 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 extension and hip flexion because that's how yes. that's what the glutes do, kind of thing, right? Rather than a squat where yes, there's some hip flexion, hip extension, but that's depending on how you set up your squat, typically not the main motion that you're doing. It could be more knee dominant or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Yeah. You can, um, do a glute bias squat. You can do a quad bias squat. And I think one thing that's important is that if you're doing a glute bias squat, this doesn't mean there's no quads involved. And if you're doing a quad bias squat, this doesn't mean there's no glutes involved. I think that can be a common misconception sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And so what would make the squat more uh quad bias then how do we how do we change the setup of the exercise to make it more quadic uh, you'd want to focus on maximizing knee flexion so this is going to be more of an upright torso um it's ideal to elevate your heels to further maximize knee flexion and just thinking of knees first so you're not breaking at the hips first like you are with a glute bias squat right so we're trying to get into probably a deeper position for most people elevating the heels to push the knees oops, to push the knees forward to to get more knee bending <laughs> in the simplest yes. word yeah, more knee, knee bending bend, yeah. so that the quads are longer at the bottom um and, and then you can push up from your quads rather than kind of leaning back sticking the butt out and pushing up from your glutes and your heels mm-hmm. yeah. right um now one other thing with the with the with the quads like a knee or a, a leg extension 
is also a good exercise. Is it beneficial to bend the knee all the way as much as you can using that full range of motion, pulling and putting them in the most lengthened position? Is that the ideal way to to do that exercise? Um, you'll want to get a full range of motion for the leg extension. That's going to be um, the only exercise that will train the quads in the fully shortened position. So it's still a good exercise to include in your training. Right. But I think that it's also, uh, and, you know, going back on what I just said, or, or about hypertrophy training, that it's much more of a hypertrophy focused exercise and like training that targeted muscle. Whereas like if you're training for strength and stuff, you may use that exercise, but less likely to utilize it. Yeah. Cause one of the characteristics of a good hypertrophy movement is choosing exercises that don't require a lot of internal stabilization. So the leg extension, you have a lot of support and you know, the back pad, the handles. So it's a good exercise to apply that concentrated tension to the quads, you know, because that's what you want with hypertrophy is one of the characteristics is to choose movements that don't require a lot of internal stabilization. So like standing on a BOSU ball is not going to be an ideal hypertrophy movement because you're recruiting a lot of muscles to help you balance. Right. And, and the balance aspect of it is making you use less weight, use less of the target tissue Mm -hmm. and just making the exercise unnecessarily difficult to the point where, yeah, I might be doing something, but it's, it's not really doing the things that we need to do for hypertrophy. Yes. So what, what is the main, and we're going to go through the kind of the rest of the body as well, but while we're on this topic, what is, what are the main characteristics that we need to see in hypertrophy? How do muscles become hypertrophied? Is it by doing more reps? Is that always the key? I know that rep ranges are highly debated. Some, some people are, you know, swear by doing low reps. Some people swear by doing high reps. Volume is the key to size. Um, uh, time under tension, what are the things that we're really trying to elicit or the changes that we're trying to elicit in the muscle to make them grow? So you can certainly build muscle and high reps, but you're also going to accumulate more fatigue. So it's more ideal to stick to, you know, like a six to 12 rep range versus, you know, going 15 plus because sure you can build muscle, but there's going to be more fatigue there. Um, some of the characteristics, other characteristics of a good hypertrophy movement would be movements that fit your structure well. Um, for example, you know, you have a deadlift, a, a Romanian deadlift, and you could use a trap bar, you could use a barbell, or you could use dumbbells. And it's about what finding what works best for you. Some people like the trap bar because your arms are in more of a natural position at your side versus a barbell, they're directly in front of you. For me, I find the trap bar, the handles are typically too wide for me, so it's uncomfortable. But I work great with dumbbells, so it's definitely about finding what works best for your structure. You know, we're all built differently. Different pieces of equipment are going to work better for somebody else. Yeah, I think um, that's... Another one... Go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to continue on, but you have something to keep say going. about No, no, that. no, keep going. I was just okay. going to mention this one, but say, bar. Okay. I would say, of course, you know, focusing on proper execution, you know, that's so important. Um... Choosing movements, yeah, that don't require a lot of internal stabilization, um, that effectively load the tissue you're trying to train. You want to choose movements that get more out of one muscle versus incorporating a lot of muscles, kind of like we were talking about with movements that challenge your balance aren't going to be ideal. Um, You know, for example, a conventional deadlift, great strength-based exercise because you are incorporating all of those muscles, but for hypertrophy, it's not as ideal because of all those muscles you're you're um, incorporating now. Yeah, I think that that's a perfect example. Like, what makes a deadlift such a great strength exercise is that it's recruiting so many muscles. And 
like you said, it's the exact thing that makes it a bad mm-hmm. hypertrophy exercise. But again, like we said, we were probably say this a hundred times this conversation, but the, it's not a bad or good exercise. It's just dependent no. on your goal. Yes. So then moving into the upper body, how, what are some of the characteristics that, uh, let's just start from the top and go, go through the shoulders. What are some characteristics that define good shoulder mechanics uh, to create good shoulder movements? Should our elbows be like super far out, a little bit more tucked in, planes of motion, that kind of stuff? Um, so let's, let me talk about pressing. So a lot of one thing I will see, and this actually caused me pain in the very beginning of my fitness journey was pressing in that very highly abducted position and not pressing in the scapular plane, um, which is like a plane of motion. It's going to be around right around here. And if you're pressing in that motion, you'll notice like um, you don't feel as much pain, your joints um, are everything is you know, more aligned. So that's a definitely a much safer way to press. For, for, for anyone who's not watching the video, when you have your arms, your elbows all the way out so that it's like in line with your torso. And I'm doing these yeah. motions as I'm talking about this one. I just said, <laughs> if you're not watching, but it's like a high degree of abduction, you don't want to press in that. Exactly. And then, so when you're, so the scapular plane would be bringing your elbows a little bit forward, not all the way forward so that it's perfectly in front of your body, but somewhere in and around like a 45 degree angle to your torso ish. Um, but again, different for everyone, different for everyone's structure. Like everyone's shoulder is going to operate slightly differently. And so find that, that, that angle that works for you and then press from there and you'll, and you will feel it that it feels better. It feels like there's more range of motion. It feels a lot stronger and a lot safer and you're utilizing the target tissues better than just cracking your, cranking your shoulder back and pressing from there in the standard, uh, military press that we know most of us probably know. And then would this, would the same be true, uh, for chest and pectoral exercises as well? Yeah, you don't, you also, for the chest um, and pecs, you also don't want to press in that high degree of abduction, really. It's just not safe, doesn't align with the joints, doesn't align, you know, with like your pecs, you know, your pecs, there's not a, you know, you're not targeting like, um, like the pecs, you know, they run down like this. So when you're in that position, you're not optimally targeting um, the pecs as well. And one of the thing, another thing about a good hypertrophy movement is aligning, you know, with the fibers of the muscle. Right. So look, for anyone listening, when, when you get a chance, look, look at a picture of, of the body, look at an, an, an anatomy photo and look at the direction that those lines are moving in, or even just like feel your own body. Your, your chest doesn't go straight out. That's not the direction that it moves in. So you want to line things up with that. And again, it will feel, it will feel good. It shouldn't hurt when you, when you do these things. No, if you're having pain with movements, that is not normal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely stay away from pain, but understand the difference between like uncomfortable or uncomfortability and pain because this stuff is not supposed to tickle either. <laughs> That's one like when you train, you, you got to train hard. We got we got to get to that point where the muscle is yes. like, oh, yeah, I, th- there's enough stimulation here that I should grow or do something about that. And that is yeah. <laughs> that that is not, you know, doing six reps where you could have done. 20 reps that, that's just not going to cut it maybe in those newbie gains but generally not, yeah. not past that so then so then moving towards the towards the back a thing that's been talked about i think in the past year or so more online is like vertical pull downs what we would typically refer to as a lat pull down so why if not why is that not necessarily a lat exercise with the hands uh, out wide, palms facing forward, and pulling straight down. 
Um, so the laths are going to have the greatest leverage when they, your humerus is adducted to the body. So you want to have your arm tightly to the body because it can then use the rib cage as leverage. So when you're, as you get away from the body, it's going to, you're going to incorporate more upper back, you know, rhomboids, traps. Um, yeah. So the traditional wide grip lat pull down, you're still going to get some lats. And I always like to mention that because it's not like, you know, black and white, but if you're really trying to focus on lats, you do want your arms adducted to the body. Right. So a good way to do that would be use a handle where you can get your elbows in, palms yes. facing each other in a more of a neutral grip, or just use a different exercise, like a, like a half kneeling, half a kneeling pull down or something like that. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Kneel, a kneeling single arm pull down. And yeah, just a way if you can, if you have an attachment or a pull down where you can get that's like more close grip, or you can even, you know, attach handles to a wide grip bar to make it more um, lat focused. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of gyms don't have like a, a, a good neutral grip handle. A lot of them have that, that V grip one, the close grip one, but it's way too, way too narrow for anyone's body. I think I may have lost you again here. Maybe we, maybe we cut out again. Well, anyways, I'm going to keep talking and then we'll, we'll figure this out. But, um, did I lose you again, Danielle? You did lose me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was just talking and rambling to myself. I don't know what's going on with my internet, but we, we, we battle on. Um, I was just okay. saying how, um, a lot of gyms don't have like a good close grip attachment. A lot of them have like that V grip, the really narrow grip that you'll typically see on like the horizontal row for, for people listening. And that's just not wide enough for anyone but a two-year-old because you're like, think of, think about how close your hands have to be and think about the width of your shoulders. You can't possibly get enough uh, uh, width at the, at the bottom of the movement to get the lats into their fully shortened position. So you've got to use maybe a straight bar or like that W bar and then put uh, the like yeah. handles on top of it to fit it to your width. Yeah. For, for a row. Yeah. You'll definitely limit your range of motion by using that really small handle. Um, even using like dual handles, like the longer dual handles work really well, or just a um, grip that is at least shoulder width apart. Yeah. And I think an important thing to, to mention there is with people, you know, don't be afraid to, to, to play around with the equipment in the gym, just because, you know, a lot of people use machines very incorrectly, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but sometimes machines, you know, we need to, we need to alter them to our own structure because a machine is built for every single person. It's not an individual built machine, like a dumbbell, you can change the orientation of the dumbbells because you're holding them in your hands kind of thing. Um, but a machine is like, yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta play with it a little bit. That doesn't mean, you know, go upside down under the, under the, the, the Smith machine and do like vertical leg press. Like that's not what it's for. Like, yes, you, you physically can do that, but you know, that's not, <laughs> that's not a good movement really for anything. And you, you do look silly doing these kind of things. Um, I think or, it's just novel looking. Like people just kind of wanting to maybe reinvent the wheel, but basics are always going to be the best. Yeah. Yeah. Like all of the best exercises have basically been invented. So we just got to mm -hmm. do those <laughs> and do yeah, them. And I'm and, someone in the gym that wants an exercise that requires like the least amount of setup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially That's like, yeah. especially in busy gyms, like you don't want to have to like have 19 pieces of equipment around you. Like no. One piece of equipment, easy to get in and get out of because then you're wasting so much time in the gym setting stuff up. And it's like your workout is an hour and a half long, but you spent 45 minutes of it just setting up equipment. So what a shame. Yeah. And, and that actually is a good segue into like rest periods for hypertrophy. So typically people who, like a lot of people go to the gym kind of 
almost don't like to rest. They'll do their set. They'll like check their phone for one second, change the song, and then just like do the next set. That's not really optimal for hypertrophy. No, it's been shown that longer rest periods are superior for hypertrophy. And I get it because I'm someone who doesn't like to rest either. So it's definitely hard for me. Um, But yeah, it's been shown it's about three to five minutes between um, like before your final working working set. Um, And I I get it. It's hard to really rest that long. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is difficult because you feel like you're just pacing around the gym doing nothing. But maybe, you know, do a, a little mobility something i don't know like walk laps around the gym get some extra steps yeah, I used in to like, do laps, yeah yeah, yeah. so what you mentioned your final working set how do you organize your sets for hypertrophy because you're not going all out 100 percent intensity every single set so define what like a working set is versus a, a warm-up set or a different set yeah the way i train the way i've been programming the way i've been taught is most optimal for hypertrophy is going to be to do warm-up sets. So this is probably going to be two to three warm-up sets where you are increasing the weight and decreasing the reps. So you're preparing yourself for that final set. And then when you come to this final set, you're going to want to take it to failure or as close um, to it as possible. And the idea of taking a set to failure is to get the maximum amount of reps of effective reps possible to go towards that growth response. So when you're doing like and this set amount of effective reps, you know, by our research has been about five. So when you're doing, um, you know, 15 to 20 reps on that exercise, there's a lot of wasted energy there and a lot of fatigue accumulated. So it's more optimal to stay, you know, in that six to 12 range, even 12 is for that final set's a little much, you know, if you're getting, you know, 10 plus reps for on that last set to failure, it's going to be ideal to increase your weight. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a great definition of the effective reps and a way to think about the number of reps that you're doing in a set, because the number of reps is a reflection as a reflection of the intensity or the intended intensity. It's not like, oh, my program says 10 reps. I should just do 10 and then stop. Like Mm -hmm. if you had, if you did 10, but you had three or four left in the tank, well, you just left three or four effective reps on the table and you, maybe you only got one or maybe even zero effective reps, which not great for hypertrophy, right? that's why training in more like moderate rep ranges is ideal. Right. Yeah. Like you said, and I I think that's a perfect way to say it is it's just wasted reps. If you got to get it to 20 to go to failure in hypertrophy, like you're just gassing yourself out for, for no real, for no real reason. Right. The only ones that are going to matter are the last two or three or four maybe. Um, But you know, you just did 16, 17 reps just to get there. Yes. Now, um, how many exercises do you do for, for a muscle and how do you set up like your, your workout split? So how many exercises like per workout then versus how many times you're hitting each thing in a week? Um, so typically I program and I do about five to seven exercises, um, pretty much in total, you know, there was a time where I was doing eight to 10 and it was just, if you're doing that many, you can't possibly be going to failure or close to it on each exercise. You know, you just, it's not possible if you're doing that many exercises. So I definitely less is more um, when it comes to hypertrophy. Um, And yeah, so I do about five to seven exercises and I've done, I typically always go back to that, you know, push pull leg split. I've always loved that split, but I also tried, you know, some upper lower 
Um, I program both. It really just kind of depends, you know, how many days are you training a week? Um, and what does your schedule look like? And what are your goals? When, when you do push pull legs on your leg day, do you, do you have like two leg days that you'll do in a week where one is a little bit more posterior focused, one's more like quad focused, or do you do everything all in one day? I will typically split it up as quads and then glutes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's a lot to do, to mm-hmm. do like if you're, if, if you're hitting five quad exercises in five or four and four, like that's eight exercises. It's a lot of energy, a lot of big muscles being used. It's a lot of time in the gym as well, which is, which is an important variable in all this because people don't have three hours a day to just train. No, I don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and, and I think most people probably shouldn't unless you're a pro athlete. Um, and, but at the same time, like most people can't recover from that anyways. If you're training for that long, you're training like seven days a week, like you mentioned earlier, overtraining does become a real thing. You should move your body and whatever every day, but you can't be, you can't be going crazy hard and, and, you know, maxing out every single day, training to failure every single day. It's just a recipe for disaster and it's going to, it's going to, it's going to harm. I just lost you again. I don't know if you know that. This is a mess. I think I kind of caught it and I was like sort of rambling on and I don't know why this is happening. So I apologize to everyone listening, but, um, such as such as life until I can have like a studio and fly people out and we could just sit down and have a conversation face to face like these are the these are the I things that yeah but uh but it's okay it will uh we'll keep going I was just I was just talking about overtraining a little bit and how you can't um you know if you're training if your workout is three hours and you're training multiple days per week seven days per week like you'll never be able to recover from that and and that's just a recipe for disaster you're more likely or you're very likely i'd say to like get injured or just also not be making progress at that point because you also can't you can't recover from it so you can't even push hard enough in the next workout and so you'll see diminishing returns for sure definitely Um, what what else was I going to ask you? I was, I was thinking about something and then I lost my train of thought because, uh, because I was Story of my life. to fill the, to, to fill, to fill the time when my thing froze. Um, yes. So the nutrition side of, of, of hypertrophy training, we need to eat more. Of course, we need to be in a little bit of a surplus to be gaining muscle. Now, I recently did what we'd all call a dirty bulk. I did it on purpose. Don't recommend it. Um, it was fun for a purpose, blah, blah, blah. How do you set up nutrition and how do you think about nutrition for hypertrophy? Um, so if your goal is muscle growth, it's going to be most ideal to go into a surplus, but like the way you did, you don't have to do it that way. And that can also lead to putting on, you know, unnecessary amounts of body fat, um, you know, with a bulk, with a bulk or a surplus, you know, it's inevitable you're going to gain some body fat, but you can limit it by, um, not going into some excessive caloric surplus. I think there's a misconception that you need to be eating, you know, a thousand calories over your maintenance to build muscle. That's just simply not true. More of a moderate surplus is going to be more beneficial, especially if you're looking to limit body fat. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need, you don't need a massive surplus and you're right. There's, there, there will be some, you know, even if you're in a little bit of a surplus and things are almost perfect, which they're not going to be, there's going to be a little bit of fluff that comes with it. And you kind of have to be like willing to willing to accept that almost and, and keep it at bay type of thing. You don't need to gain excess body fat and get fat like I did, but you, <laughs> I use that word loosely because I want to liberate it. I think we, we put too much shame on it, but um, 
you know, that doesn't, that doesn't have to happen. You can, you can kind of keep the, keep the excess fat gain at bay and keep it to a minimum yes. and then, you know, switch to a period of maintenance or, or a small deficit to offset that and then switch back into, into hypertrophy over periods of time. Where do you think that that myth, so to speak, came from having to be like a thousand calories over your maintenance or like having insane amounts of food? Where do you think that came from? That's a really good question, honestly. It's not a test. I was just curious if, if no, you had any thoughts. I mean, it's a really good question um, because, I mean, there's research out there. Like, there's even research showing that you can build muscle in a caloric deficit. I mean, is it the most optimal way? No. Is it possible? Yes. And But you just you don't need to, you know, eat a 1,000 calories over your maintenance to build muscle. And I think um, when you speak of the term dirty bulking, I think people are just they're setting their calories so high and finding it hard to eat, you know, a ton of nutrient dense foods and consume all those calories and hit their you know, macro goals. But it's so much easier with junk food. I mean, I've been there. I've done the same, same thing for a while where I could not, I was struggling to hit my calorie goal with more nutrient dense food. So yeah, I would turn to junk food and you know, you never really feel great after that. <laughs> Yeah, no, nobody's eating like three, four, five thousand calories of chicken and potatoes. Like that's that's not happening. No, it's much easier. Yeah, with like you know, a bag of chips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just but but you're right. You, you feel you feel horrible, and and I can speak yeah. from experience on myself. Like I didn't feel great while I was doing it, um, and you know I did it on purpose and whatever. But you know your body doesn't your body doesn't feel good when you fuel it with eating crap. You, know, you eat like crap, you're gonna feel like crap. That's just how it is. I was, I was just thinking as I, as I asked you, I would, I might guess that this like myth of the super high calories likely came from a, a misconception from the bodybuilding world in that, you know, elite bodybuilders do have to eat an obscene amount of calories. Now they're also very heavy, way heavier than most people. And they're also using anabolic steroids and, and other substances that do ramp up their BMR like crazy. So yeah, they might actually have to eat 5,000 calories to be in a 500 calorie surplus like that's not yeah. right? the average the, person that's not optimal but yes yeah yeah for the average person for the average person you're obviously not using steroids so that's number one no. number two <laughs> no. you're not you're not you know 275 pounds and 12 percent body fat that's that is also <laughs> not average right that is a that is a monster of a human so yeah that person's maintenance calories might be might be four thousand and so they have to eat five thousand calories plus whatever to to put on size but you know, we, we get these things from, from the, from the extremes. And then we translate it back. Like someone who's been training for two years, you know, you weigh 175 pounds. You do not need to eat 5,000 calories to bulk. <laughs> it's just a, it's just a recipe for, uh, for disaster. Um, yeah. and, and especially like for, for people like yourself, like you live in Florida, it's almost always beach season. Like, do you really, do people really want to like bulk? Did you notice a, a difference in, in that? Is there like a, a culture around wanting to always be leaner in Florida rather than in Michigan? You mean like me personally? Yeah. You personally, or, or just other people that like in Florida or in places where well, it's usually warm. I was say, well, I live surrounded by old people. So no, <laughs> in that, um, but for myself, it can kind of be that pressure. Um, you know, when it is like that season pretty much year round and you can pretty much go to the pool or the beach year round. Um, I don't feel it a ton, um, just because, like I said, I'm pretty much surrounded by, you know, old, old people. So I go to the pool and it's just like old people. And I'm like, 
Uh, nope. <laughs> so I don't really see it. I think if I lived, you know, elsewhere in Florida where there was more of a younger population then yes. Um, so yeah, not, not, not really for you, me personally. It, it was interesting to me that you said that you used the word pressure, that it, that it feels like it, or it could feel like pressure to, to stay lean year round. Is that, is that, is that an accurate way of saying it? Or is that just kind of the, the first word that that came to your mind? I think definitely, especially with social media, there can, there can be a pressure. Like when you, when you're on social media and that's kind of what you do for a living and, you know, people are always posting like their best photos, their leanest photos. And if that's what you're looking at all day, you know, I've fallen victim to that for sure, that there can be a pressure to be like, Oh, I need to, I need to look this, I need to look this way. You know, it's not really good to, you know, feed the, feed that, feed your brain with all those images if that's kind of having a negative effect on you. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely way harder on social media because people can, people are looking at you all the time. You're posting con- like a, a constant uh, photos and videos of yourself doing something or, or whatever it is. And so, you know, we have this thing that we think that everything is, is instant. Like I can't, I, every picture that I post or video that I post must have been from today. Not, it couldn't have been from from a couple of weeks ago or from a couple of months ago or, or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. So, you know, we, we always feel like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta put your best self forward, which is, which is sad, but it's also part of the game as well. Like it is. And you have to really realize that. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Did that take you a long time to, to realize that and overcome or is that something like on social media or is that something that you kind of like you picked up from the jump and, and just played into it? I think as I continued to, um, grow on social and then make my career all on social um it's definitely it definitely can be hard and there are times where I still fall victim to it it's just reminding myself that it's it's always putting like your best photo out there and the bat like the posing and you know all that not nothing is wrong with that nothing against it but if that's like what you're thinking is so all this real life it's not reality yeah yeah that's why I think it's always so you get more response when you post something that's like a little bit more real it's like i don't know about you but i'll get more response on social media if i post a picture of junk food than if i post a picture of like a regular meal that i would eat like you know 95 percent of the time and it's like oh because you're like a real person right yeah and i've noticed more of a trend with social media that people are posting more real stuff and i think that's definitely appreciated yeah but but sometimes it's like to to a fault i think it can i think i think it might swing in the other direction where we start posting too much of that stuff and we just forget that like oh no no i also like walk every day i go to the gym i take care of myself i sleep i eat healthy like 99 percent of the time but that's just not cool to post so i'm going to post other stuff that's like more relatable but it's almost like we're giving people permission and i use this this term loosely but permission to like not do the fitness things but it's like they're already they're already not doing them (laughs) Mm-hmm. I think you're just finding like a healthy balance, like being real. And then also like, you know, showing like both sides, you like, like what the reality looks like. And then, you know, also like posting, you know, about your training and all of that. Um, I think, you know, definitely when you're, you're putting on this like facade of like looking this certain way, eating this certain way all the time, I don't think that's realistic. Yeah. Nobody does. You, you would go, you go crazy by doing that. Right. It's just about you know, social media is, it's social. It's about being a real person. There are, there are humans yeah. behind, behind the accounts and, and we have to continue to like, to, to show that. Right. And, and to, and to put out good content, right. To like, you know, again, you put out a lot of hypertrophy content. You're not putting out content on like 
cooking. And if you wanted to do that, like you could, but that's not like what you're doing. So it's like, you know, being focused on what we do, but then also show that we are a real person as well. Yes. Just a glimpse into somebody's life, you know, a small glimpse. (laughs) Exactly. What what are, what are some things that you, you foresee yourself kind of like switching into or, or with your career and with social media? I know that you've like, you have your, your, your coaching and your programming and, and those things. And you recently came up with the grips, which are awesome. And I'm so upset actually that I bought a different brand of grips right before you released yours, uh, for my girlfriend. And I was very upset that, that I missed it, <laughs> but, but what are some things that you see like kind of coming, coming down the pipeline for you? Right now, I'm just really trying to grow my knowledge and then, you know, invest in like a business mentor, which I've never done. So things like that. And then, yeah, pretty much just, um, growing like, you know, like my programming, um, I'm considering like adding a, um, program where it's a combination of actually strength and hypertrophy. That's something I used to do before I got into more solely hypertrophy training. And I really liked it because I definitely think there's something empowering about, you know, being strong. Um, but then also, you know, combining like muscle, muscle growth with it. So, you know, having a program where it's like, you're still focusing on bench at the squat, but you're also incorporating more hypertrophy movements. I think, um, that's something I personally would love to do and love to put out, um, one day because, I definitely did enjoy strength training and feeling strong on those movements. So that's something I've been thinking about and then kind of just, yeah, just doing what I am and then working to on the fitness accessory business I had started, um, just adding more, like, you know, I've been working on ankle straps, you know, barbell pads, all of that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. The, the combining the strength with, with hypertrophy stuff. Like I think people are kind of calling it, power building yes which is like it's almost like a non-specific term it doesn't like it kind of it means combining two things which also means like kind of nothing at the same time <laughs> but 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 it like it makes sense if you if you understand what's going on there but i think i think that's a great that's a great way to train like kind of long term because i think about most people's goals you get in the gym uh, you know you want to look a little bit better and like okay you you attain that physique goal where you know you've got the body that you like and, and you know you're pretty much where you're at and it's like well then what comes next well, I don't want to just keep gaining muscle for forever. Maybe I'm not willing to do the things it takes to keep gaining muscle for forever. I don't want to get any leaner. It's like, well, what, what do I do then? We can still do a little bit of hypertrophy training, still get a little bit stronger because you can still chase that for forever. And it is very fun to, you know, keep adding weight onto the bar and those big, powerful movements. Yeah. I've done a variety of types of training. Like I did strength. I even did, I don't know if you know what strong man is. Yeah. Okay. So I did some of that. Um, yeah, I did, um, hypertrophy I did a combination so I bounced back and forth so just finding about finding what works for you yeah yeah and and the thing that the thing that you're going to be able to do consistently right there's no best workout if we just talk about like health stuff and general fitness like the best workout is the one that you're going to do whether that be hypertrophy focused strength focused or even crossfit like you know yeah do your thing yeah, and there's no one size fits all for fitness. It's just finding what what works for you and yeah. what you enjoy to do. You know, if you hate a certain way of training, well, don't train that way. Yeah, there's there's no one saying that you have to do something a certain no. way. You just you just do yourself, fit things to your structure, like and the structure of your life as well. And I think that that's mm-hmm. an important thing to consider. Is like if you can't train a certain way because maybe you don't have access to maybe someone doesn't have access to a gym. 
they don't have access to 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 a full on gym where they can't really get these hypertrophy movements in. So you make believe them at home using your booty band and and you know whatever things you have at home, and it's just not a hypertrophy. Like you're not going to get the results that you're looking for by trying to fit something into what you don't have available to you. So you you know your your training just has to switch, and that's okay too. Yes. Yeah. Very good, Danielle. I appreciate your time. Um, is there anything else that you have coming up and like contact info that you want to kind of rattle off that people can, people can find you? Pretty much just my Instagram at Danielle Webster fit is kind of where um, I post everything. Like my programs are on there, my one-on-one coaching and all of that. Awesome. Is there anything else that you want to leave the people with here in closing? Any other message to anybody out there? Um, I jotted down like a few um, like lessons I learned through fitness. Yeah. So you know, I'll give it, I'll give a few of those that I have learned um, over the years. So I think one is I'll get a lot of questions like, what are, what are your macros? What are your calories? And uh, really specific questions like that. And it's important to note that if we all ate and trained the same way, we would all look so different. So what I eat and my macros and all of that is relevant to only me. Um, you could eat the same way I train. I mean, you could eat the same way I eat and train the same way I train and you'll look completely different. So I think that's definitely one thing. Um, it's a never ending journey. There are no quick fixes, no matter who tries to get you to believe that there are, they're not. And if they are, they're not safe and they're not adherable or sustainable. Um, and then I think the last, the last one would be Time is going to pass no matter what. Um, you won't regret making, you know, lifestyle changes if you look back six months from now. And even if they're small changes, like you don't necessarily have to make these whopping, you know, big goals. I want to lose, you know, X amount of weight in, you know, a month. You could be small goals like I'm going to walk 30 minutes a day. I'm going to have protein every meal. I'm going to eat a big salad every day. Like just setting those small goals can really lead up to big progress over time. And it's something that, you can do daily that is adherable for you versus trying to go to the gym seven days a week and um, do like 45 minutes of intense cardio daily. That's just not sustainable for the average person. Yeah. Beautifully said. I think that those are all great, great, great lessons and things that seem simplistic, but we all need to hear these in different kinds of ways. And they apply to everyone's life in a different way. Those, those lessons that Danielle just rattled off, like, those are going to apply to everyone in your own way, in the context of your own life. So listen to that and and think about your own life, right? And and think about how you can implement these things into your own life and where you can improve upon these things in your own life, whether it be fitness or or anything else completely unrelated to the fitness to fitness in the gym. I think that those lessons still still translate. Like you said, the first thing about about the macros you eat. If I go to the, the same school and study the same and do the same thing as someone else, I might not get the same job and make the same amount of money as them. That's just not how it works. Like each individual has their own journey and you know we've got to we've got to navigate this thing uh, ourselves. Very true. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Danielle. I very much appreciate it. This has been a great time. I apologize to, to you, Danielle, and to everyone listening about the internet issues. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, make sure yes. you're following uh, Danielle on Instagram at Danielle Webster Fit. Um, check out everything that she's got to offer. Check out the grips, which are which are definitely a good thing and, and something that I've come around to recently where I used to be like, not used to be like, I don't really like using grips or hand or, or grip assists myself but i've realized that for for women and especially if you have nails that are long it's very hard to 
grip things that are very heavy. And so using those grips, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but using those grips allows you to kind of hold on to things without having to curl your fingers into the, into the palm of your hand. It does. And then also you're not limited by the amount of weight that you can use. You know, I can hold on to you know, hundred pound dumbbells with I have, when I have the grips on, but you know, I can barely keep, um, maintain a grip on, you know, a 60 pound dumbbell when I don't have my grips on. So it really, if you're not using grips, especially on like a movement, like an RDL or like a bent over row, you're really going to be limited by your grip. So that's really optimal um, to use grips or straps. Yeah. And, and in the context of all things, hypertrophy, if you're doing an RDL, the point is not to fatigue your grip. If you're working on strength and yeah, you've got to, you know, work on your yeah. grip strength and that stuff. But if you're doing an RDL, the point is to work on your glutes and your hamstrings, not, not your grip. So if the grip yes. is like v- very, the thing that's really limiting you by like, you know, 40 plus pounds, then, you know, that's where, that's where the grips come into play. And I've definitely come around more to that <laughs> in the past. Yes. Year, it makes so. a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely check that out again, Danielle Webster fit on Instagram and, um, and that's it. I appreciate you. Give me a follow uh, as well on Instagram to those listening. And if you're not already at Daniel Yoris, give the podcast a share to those who, who, who need to hear it, who need to learn about hypertrophy, want to get a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. Um, rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, and all the places. And that's it. Go out there, train hard, be a good person. Take it easy.